We've got so much going on here at Clarksburg Baptist Church. I want to remind you to always look at the bulletin because there's a lot of things that we can't mention every single Sunday. And I uh, just want to encourage you to do that. Let's go ahead and pray. And we'll ask God to continue to move and work. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray as we talk about this very real issue, uh, this struggle with guilt that many of us have. God, I pray you help us to be honest with ourselves this morning. God, I pray you help us to uh, look deep inside our heart, God, and ask ourselves, what is our motivation for serving you? Lord, I pray as I speak that you would uh, give me the words to speak, God, and keep me from any words that I uh, should not say. Lord, we thank you for all these that are here today, God. I pray you are pleased in everything we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about fighting guilt. Fighting guilt. It's kind of funny. I told people the uh, title of the sermon was going to be guilt, and they're like, they seemed unsure as to whether I was pro-guilt or <laughs> against guilt, so I had to change it to fighting guilt uh, so that it was obvious that we were against guilt. Uh, but I believe that every single person in the room today struggles at some level uh, with a sense of guilt at all the times humming below the surface. Now, what does that guilt sound like? For many, it sounds like I don't pray enough, or I eat too much, or I watch too much TV. I'm such a loser. I could use my time better. Mozart was composing symphonies at the age of eight, and what have I done with my life? <laughs> or I skipped my Bible reading today. I'm worthless. I don't give enough. Now, for some of us, those thoughts are quiet whispers in our mind, but for others, it's a roar that constantly has our attention. And overall, we feel a uh, certain sense of inadequacy and unworthiness. And many of us live with the thought that God is disappointed with us. Now, is it okay to feel guilty? Yes, sometimes it's okay to feel guilty because sometimes we have open and unrepentant sin in our lives, and sometimes guilt accompanies the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God's trying to turn us around, and sometimes there are really things that we need to change. And sometimes God is drawing us to himself. So it's okay to feel guilty when we sin. But God did not save us to live in constant guilt of things that he has already forgiven us for. Let that sink in. I'm going to say it one more time. God did not save you to live in constant guilt of things he's already forgiven you for. Hey, guilt is not a good motivator. Think back. Has anyone ever tried to guilt you into doing something? Sometimes it's your spouse. Sometimes it's your mom. Sometimes it's your, you know, co-worker. But if you have ever had that happen to you, someone guilted you into doing things, you know that it's not exactly a pleasant experience. You owe me. You've, I've done so much for you. You never do anything for me. If you really cared, if you were a better person, how do you feel about them for doing that? I can almost guarantee that their actions did not make you love them more or make you want to be around them anymore. And if that person made a habit of guilting you into doing things they wanted you to do, you probably would begin to distance yourself from them. Why? Because guilt only works in the short term. Guilt does not work long term. And see, our obedience to God 
should not flow from guilt, but rather out of our abundance of love for him. We should listen to him and obey him because we love him. And it's so much different when you help someone and it comes from a place of love. All the time I tell Tori and I try and encourage her, hey, let the kids do things for themselves. Let them get their own juice. Let them tie their own shoes. Let them drive themselves to the dentist. Let them do (laughs) things on their own. But she loves it. She, it's not even work for her. She loves to get them juice. She loves to tie their shoes. She doesn't want them to grow up. And it flows out of her abundance of love. It's not even work for her. But see, it's a whole different story when they say things like, Mom, you never do anything for me. Huh, guess who's getting their own juice now, right? <laughs> if you try and guilt her into doing something, it'll be a whole different story and has everything to do with the motivating factor. If it's done out of love, you will come out with joy. But if it's done out of guilt, it will only last for a while. When it's done out of love, you can come out feeling joy because you were able to do something for someone you love and not feeling like someone held something over your head. And see, this is why. And if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably seen it happen where someone lives for Christ full steam for a little while. But then after a while, they just fizzle out. Many of the times it's because they were motivated by guilt. They wanted to do more because they didn't feel like God really loved them. And instead, they tried to prove to God that they were good enough. It's even a joke among secular people that Christianity is a guilty religion, that we love to feel bad about ourselves. But that's exhausting and it's empty. It's not supposed to be like that. So why do so many Christians live in guilt? Kevin DeYoung says there's four reasons that Christians live in guilt. Some of us live in guilt because we have not fully embraced the gospel. We haven't fully embraced the gospel. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8 says this, and I want you to just really focus in on this. It says, but God, being rich in mercy. Sometimes we believe that God's mercy has been spent, it's been exhausted, but he is rich in mercy. Because of his great love wherewith he has loved us. When? Even when we were dead in our trespasses. And he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at this next part. It says, so that in the coming age... He might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. Hey, one of the things he's going to do in heaven is he's going to show off how much mercy and grace he has. It says in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. So you can never be good enough to earn your salvation. And you cannot be good enough to keep it. Some of us live like that. You're saved, but you live like you have to work to keep God from being disappointed with you, to make him love you. But you're saved by faith alone. And it was a gift and it remains a gift. See, when we add stipulations to God's love, we cheapen it. But the Bible says that God is love. He is the epitome of love. But many of us treat him like he's a bitter old man that's holding grudges against us. 
Don't forget that Jesus knew you before he saved you. And there's nothing that you can do to make him love you more. And there is nothing that you can do to make him love you less. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he has loved us, even when we were dead in our sins. You can never be more worse off than you were before you accepted Christ. You were living your life rejecting God, but then all of a sudden you turn towards God and he loved you before and he loved you now. He is not in heaven wishing that he didn't save you. He's not in heaven having buyer's remorse that he paid the price for you, but he didn't get what he thought he was going to get. Many of us have done that before, right? We bought something and we're like, man, this isn't what I thought it was. A lot of times it's one of those uh, infomercials, right? Man, this said it was going to change my life and add years to my life. And really, it's just like a knife. That's all it is. <laughs> we add stipulations to God's love. We cheapen it. He knew what he was getting when he bought you. So the first thing, the first reason is sometimes we live in guilt because we haven't fully embraced the gospel. The second thing, and the reason that we live in guilt is because Christians often motivate each other through guilt. I'm guilty of this. You're guilty of this. Pastors all over the country are guilty of this. We use guilt as a tool to motivate each other and to control people. Huh, you don't want to give to the needy? Oh, okay, I thought you loved Jesus. <laughs> oh, you don't want to help the homeless? Okay, well, it's your fault if they die. Their blood is on your hands. We use guilt to manipulate people. But that won't last. Should we feed the homeless? Absolutely. But not to make ourselves feel better about ourselves or to ease our guilty conscience. That's just selfishness. We should do these things rather because we want to be like Jesus and we want to love him and we want to serve him and because we want to please him. But when we try to help people to feel better about ourselves, that's self-centeredness. It's the same thing when we give to get. Some people do that. The greatest investment plan that you could ever do is to give to God. Well, wait a minute. Why don't you just give to God because you love him? Not because you're looking for return on your investment, right? Hey, how about you just give to God because he commanded you to, and, and you love him, and you want to do stuff that pleases him? Now, would God bless you for doing that? Absolutely, but don't give to get. Do it because you love him. Number three reason that Christians live in guilt is many, as a, many of us fall into the trap of not doing enough. Not doing enough. But the problem with that is it's a slippery slope. Hey, could you ever really pray enough? Could you ever really read your Bible enough? Could you ever really witness enough and tell enough people about Jesus? See, sometimes we can look around at the people around us and we say they do so much more and we can begin to feel bad about ourselves because we never can do as much as they are. And some people have long ago quit doing anything for God because they know they can't do enough. So what's the point? And we can cripple ourselves with guilt in these areas. But the truth is we could always do more. No matter how good you become, you could always be better. And living like that is draining and it is miserable and it's why many people quit on God. But what if instead in live, of living in guilt, what if instead that you, instead of thinking that I just can't do enough, what if instead you ask God to schedule your days? God, today I, help, uh, I pray you help me to know 
how you want me to pray and how long you want me to pray. God, I, t I pray today that you help me to uh, know how much Bible I should read. God, I pray today you would schedule my days. God, tell me what to do. God, tell me what to give. And then we just listen to these things. It's a way simpler Christianity, right? But see, the problem is a lot of us like to be told what we should do. When I was in Bible college, we had chapel every single day, and it seemed like every pastor that came in had some kind of secret sauce as to how to be a good Christian. You've got to read a proverb every single day. You've got to pray for an hour every day. You need to witness to at least one person every single day. You've got to read 1 Corinthians 13. Every, that's the love chapter. You've got to read it every single day. Hey, you need to read five chapters of the Bibles every day. And this next person said, you ought to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Before you know it, I'm doing 27 things. I'm praying for 20 hours a day, reading 3,700 chapters of the Bible a week. And I can't do it. I can't keep up with it. And many of us have quit because we just, I can't do all that. How am I supposed to be a good Christian? What's even the point? Not to mention... In a, ch a checklist or to-do list, where's the love and relationship in that? You cannot do enough to pay Christ back. So what if you stopped trying? What if instead you just loved him and sought him and tried to connect with him every day? You tried to pr please him with your life. Stop making your relationship a to-do list. Stop feeling obligated to spend time with Christ and instead Find a way to enjoy it. Someone a long time ago told me that the minute that your prayer life and your devotional life and your Bible reading becomes mundane and boring, you've got to change it up. Whether that's writing your prayers out or reading a book along with your devotions or something that I used to do a lot is I would go and walk in the woods behind the church and just pray and I'd get alone with God and I'd get away from everything. I can't really do that here. It's not in any grass around, let alone woods. Once I get out of town, I can do it a little bit. But you've got to change it up. Why? Because it's too important just to plow through it every day and just to check a box and just to say, hey, I did my part today. Nine year, uh, years ago, I married my wife. And I'm pretty happy about that decision. <laughs> I think I made the right choice. But the December before that, we went to a place called Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And uh, they had this big Christmas festival and there was uh, ice carving and there was fountains and there was Christmas music and handmade Christmas ornaments and there was lights all around. And I got down on one knee on a bridge, water was trickling under it and the lights were reflecting and I asked her to marry me. Hey, that's the correct response. Good job. But imagine this. Imagine if every single day, I forgot the best part. I gave it to her in a Christmas ornament. There's this crystal ball. And inside, it was hanging a, an engagement ring. And at first, she was disappointed because she thought it was just a Christmas ball. And she's like, oh, man, this is a lot of pomp and circumstance for a Christmas ornament. But then she saw what was in it, and she said yes. <laughs> but imagine this. Imagine if every single day since then, she tried to pay me back for that ring. If, if every day she said, hey, that was too much, that was too expensive, you didn't need to do all that, let me pay you for it. Let me give you a little something. You did too much. 
Eventually, I would say, listen, stop worrying about that and just have a relationship with me. You're, it's to the point now that you're offending me by trying to pay me back for this thing that I gave you out of love. And I believe that Jesus is doing that very same thing. Many of us are like, here, here, here's a little something for you, Jesus. He's like, look, that's great and all, but I just want you to fellowship with me. I just want you to connect with me every day. And yes, do things for God and don't do less for him, but do it out of love and not out of obligation and guilt. A guilty Christian is an ineffective Christian. See, God spells this out about giving. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. Should you give? Yes, because we can't do all this if you don't give. And yes, you should give your 10%, like the Bible tells us about, as a tithe. But should you give it begrudgingly? Absolutely not. It should come out of your love for Christ. Do everything out of love. See, God loves it when we give out of love and not out of necessity, duty, or guilt. You ask God what to do, and he'll tell you what to do, and then you do it. And be excited about it, whatever he tells you to do. You want to do more than that? Awesome. Do more, but do it out of love. So why do Christians live in guilt? One, it's because they fall into the trap of not doing enough. Two, other Christians like to motivate each other with guilt. Three, we tend to not accept the whole gospel. And lastly, some Christians live in guilt because they won't repent and receive the forgiveness and mercy that God offers us. See, some of us are choosing to live in sin instead of fellowshipping with God, which is crazy. Why would you do that? 1 John 1.9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Why would you not live in that? Why would you say no to that? The God that made you says, I will forgive you. And after that, it says in Romans 8.1 that there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's an awesome verse there as well. Some of us live with that feeling of constant condemnation from God, but that is not from God. If you are living and pressing towards God, he says there is no condemnation for you. But why do some people live in guilt when they're a Christian? Well, some of us have just gotten pretty good at it. And some of us only really feel like we're close to God if we feel super bad about ourselves. But see, the devil would love to, for you to be crippled by guilt. Why? Because you're going to avoid God if you live in guilt. You will avoid God if you live in guilt. If you've ever done something to somebody, you know that feeling where you see him coming and you like hide behind something, right? Maybe you owe them money or something. You don't have it on you. You're like, oh, i got to go this way instead. There's so-and-so. And some of us, that's our relationship with God. We don't want to come to God because we know that there's something between us and we don't want to get it right. But the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, how can we tell the difference? This is a common question. How can we tell the difference between Guilt from Satan and conviction from the Holy Spirit. Well, guilt says, give up. Conviction says, get 
right. Guilt says you're worthless, and conviction says you're worth too much to continue in sin. Guilt says you've tried before, there's no use in keep trying, and uh, conviction says give it to Christ and let him do it to you and through you. Guilt pushes you to avoid God, and conviction draws you to God. Some of us are crippled by things that we did months ago and years ago, even though you repented of those things, you got those things right. And I've got those things, you've got those things in our lives that we could go back and we could dwell on them and we can rehash them and we can begin to feel like garbage about ourselves. God, I can't get up there and preach. God, I can't sing. God, I can't do anything for I'm not worthy. But none of us are worthy. And that's not Christ bringing up those things about that, uh, those things that he's already forgiven you for. Guilt keeps us bound and calls us unworthy. But conviction pushes us to accept the mercy and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So here's the point. Don't fight conviction, but fight guilt. Yes, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. But to live in guilt is is saying, Christ, taking your place was not sufficient. And then he needs your help to carry the cross. Some of us act that way. Jesus, let me bear a little bit of the weight of my sin. But he doesn't need your help. It was finished on the cross. You don't need to go back to it. Tim Keller says this. He says, we're far worse than we ever imagined and more loved than we could ever dream. See, Christ took upon himself the full weight of the cross. And he does not need your help to uh, to bear it. He was declared guilty so that you could be declared innocent. So live in that. As Jesus stood before his accuser, they beat him and they lied about him. They mocked him. The chief priest turned to the crowd and the crowd yelled, guilty. And he did that for you. And it was enough. And it was finished. He took the fall for you. He took the blame for your guilt. He allowed himself to be declared guilty so that you could go free. Your debt is paid. Your sin is covered. Your chains are broken. That is who Jesus is. So love him and follow him and embrace him and cherish him and be mentored by him. Speak his word. Spend time with him. But not out of guilt, out of joy. You can't earn God's love. He gave it to you. How can you keep from loving a person like that? So stop trying to earn God's forgiveness by bearing the weight of your guilt and shame and just receive the forgiveness and press on for God. Throw away your list of to-dos or list of not good enough deeds and ask God how you can love him more in this moment and in every moment. See, sometimes Christians can forget that the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I would argue that if you're living motivated by guilt, that your Christianity is weak and stagnant and self-centered. But someone motivated by joy and love will be willing to lay down their life for Christ. So you think that the disciples were willing to die one by one out of guilt? No. The Bible says there's no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life for them and they were willing to lay down their lives for him. So if today spoke to your heart at all and you're trapped 
in guilt like I was for so many years. I dare you to be here for the next two sermons. We're going to contrast uh, two biblical characters that were uh, motivated by guilt and two that were motivated by love. And don't be back for my sake. Be back for your sake to be free from the bondage of sin. So as we go into the invitation time, the question is this. Are you living in guilt and unworthiness and inadequacy? Have you bought into the lie that God, when he looks at you, feels disappointed as if you somehow surprised him or if he was wrong about you when he saved you? Hey, you need to ask God to forgive you for believing a lie about his character. Remember, he was declared guilty so that you could be declared innocent. Maybe you're just here today out of guilt. Do you only read your Bible out of obligation? Is your main motivation in your Christian life to feel better about yourself? Well, you need to ask God's forgiveness for being selfish in your motives. Or is your guilt and conviction warranted because you're currently involved in unrepentant sin? Well, get it right. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Get things right between you and your Savior. But after you get it right, leave it at the altar. Stand up and walk away determined to love God for who he is and not just out of guilt. And start tomorrow not with a list of to-dos and to-don'ts, but with a burning desire to spend quality time with your Savior. And then listen to his leading and then follow it. Remember, this morning, God is not the one that's telling you to stay down after you fall. Christ says, get back up and follow me. Let's stand to our feet as the worship band comes. The altar's open this morning. Maybe one of these things spoke to your heart as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Are you living your Christian life motivated by guilt? If you are, then you know what I mean by the fact that it's exhausting and it's miserable. Why? Because... You can never do enough to pay back Christ. As the band plays this morning, I want to encourage you to use this altar and to ask forgiveness for being motivated out of guilt and not love. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a person that says, you know what, I'm not even really sure that I'm a Christian. You talked a lot to Christians this morning. And I'm not really even sure that if I die today that heaven would be my home. I can't go back to a place. I can't go back to a time where I ask God to forgive me. Like we talked about, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And that includes you. You can call out to God right now. See, it's not about your works. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says that God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He took your place. He died for your sins. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call out this morning. It's not a magic prayer. It's not, it doesn't even have to be these words, but it's from your heart to God's ears. You can call out with something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. Please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. 
and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. If that's you today, I want to encourage you. I'll be here at the front on the second row. You just come up and tell me, hey, I made that decision today. I'm not playing games with God. I'm not ashamed of what I did. You just come up and shake my hand. I'm not going to bring you up or make you talk or anything like that. I just want to pray with you. But as the band plays, I want to encourage you, if God spoke to your heart today, that you do something about what he dealt in your heart about. They're going to sing a song, How Can It Be? See, it doesn't make any sense how much he loves us. It doesn't make any sense why he did it. But the fact is, our God laid down his life for us. Accept it. Receive it. Thank him for it and live in gratitude for it. Altars open as they sing.